He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. In philosophy, all ideas are open to exploration. For someone with wide-ranging interests and an inbuilt curiosity, this is both invigorating and humbling. Invigorating because it demands open-mindedness and wonder. Humbling because by recognising the limits of our knowledge, it celebrates an endless search for understanding. Dr. Crucial Watene is Associate Professor at the School of Humanities, Media and Creative Communication at Massey University in Auckland. She grew up in South Auckland, no Ngāti Manu, Te Hikutu, Ngāti Whātua o Rākei, me Tonga. In March this year, Dr. Watene was accepted into a year-long international leadership programme, Homeward Bound, an initiative that culminates in an all-female expedition to the Antarctic. Dr. Watene says that her interest includes philosophy and its link to environmental values and justice, and that Antarctica can be a metaphor for how we interact with the environment. Crucial's areas of research are moral and political philosophy, including concepts of equality, community, freedom and rights. She's keen to find out how to improve people's lives through social and global justice and building capability to do so. Ea ku whakataitai ki te whenua e ngā kai whakarongo puta noa i te ao nau mai anō ki tēnei kaupapa kōrero. Hei aki aki, hei whakamārama atu kia koutou, nā kaupapa o te ao Māori. This week I'm with philosopher Dr. Crucial Wātene. My nana on my dad's side, I'm actually Māori, Tongan and um, English, I'd say. So my nana on my dad's side, she's a wikaira and kaio from um, Whirinaki. My papa on my dad's side is a wātene from Orake and a winyard from Kāritu, which is um, on the other side of the coast mm. of the north at Taumārere. And um, my nana and papa made their whānau home in Moirewa, which is in the Bay of Islands, or what's affectionately known as Tonatown. And um, my dad left Moirewa when he was 16 to travel to Auckland, um, where he met my mum, who'd, who'd migrated from the UK, from Yorkshire, where she was born, with her English mother and um, Tongan father, who'd gone there from Hunga, Vava'u, which is um, a small island in the Vava'u Islands group to box, to box around the world. Panama Road in South Auckland was home. The state housing community was one where everybody pretty much knew everyone. Her father got a job at the freezing works. Crucial grew up surrounded by two things, books and sports. With such a diverse cultural heritage background, how did that play a role in your upbringing? It made things really interesting. Um, we got to see the way in which different approaches to life, different basic assumptions, can often be woven together and the ways in which sometimes they can't be. <laughs> so it was a really fascinating way of growing up. We, I describe our upbringing as typically Māori and Pacifica, but more Māori and Panama Road. So, um, yeah, with less kind of influence of English heritage um, and less influence of Tongan heritage, so... Yeah, but rich nonetheless. I mean, I, when I was reading your piece of writing, I could picture Panama Road. Because it sounds like 
everybody knew each other, um, you know, you kind of, you know, playing out until the street light lamp all went on or something like that. So describe what Panama Road was like. Yeah, so it's a, it's a lovely little community. There's really people talk about Panama Road as having one way in and one way out. And what context? like? So you get there from the Mount Wellington Highway and then you, you can only get back out really typically um, by going up the same way. So once you're down there, you can kind of get lost in the Panama Loop, especially once you get over the motorway bridge. Um, But there are lots of communities of people. Often they worked at the Tip Top, which is around the corner on Carbine Road. Um, It was a a lifestyle of growing up with lots of friends and going to the local school, Panama Road Primary School. Actually, I was just thinking about what it was like um, to live down Panama Road, being away from ancestral marae, because... Can I go into this? Yeah, definitely. Because, <laughs> go for it. actually, I'm um, part of a project that's led by Mera Takafuru where we're really interested in trying to figure out the role of ancestral marae for Māori youth today. And so we're working with lots of colleges to try and figure that out, to try and get their voices about ancestral marae and reconnections with marae communities all around New Zealand. And it made me think about the role that Panama Road the school but also the community had and trying to um, connect us with practices that we otherwise wouldn't have living in the city and so there's someone that's really special I, th- I think to me but also to other children down Panama Road and that was the Māori Warden Network that was a thing <laughs> back then <laughs> but also Nanny Hopai actually who was uh, the local queer who anytime anything went uh, any time anything happened down Panama Road they'd go to Nanny Hopai and she was really the person who encouraged us to, to do kapahaka, uh, to learn about pōwhiri at school, to do karanga. And, yeah, without her, um, I don't think our lives down Panama Road would have been as rich as they were. So going back to this ancestral marae, are you talking about urbanisation there and the likes of Te Tirahau for, um, I think it was the Tuhoi whanau set that up in Auckland to have That's that connection? True. There is a network of marae yeah. actually in Auckland that facilitates that. And although our research, so our research project is really interested in understanding then what is the role of ancestral marae today? Mm. Um, so what's the role of schools but also urban marae for facilitating connection beyond the city to our homelands? You know, yeah. What's the role of, of homelands today? I mean, I've talked about this on the show. More Māori live away from their ancestral homelands. So how do you... I mean, what's the first steps of your of that kaupapa um, crucial in this research? Is it just finding out? So we're working closely with schools. Um, oh, gotcha. Yep, high schools in particular, who actually... We've talked to a lot of... So I'm, one of the wonderful things about this project is I'm able to go back to my old college, or Tahuhu College, and they've talked about the way in which our whānau was a really core component for Māori students there, and that's what they're working on now, trying to re- reconnect... Um, their students with this idea of whānau and trying to reconnect them with who their grandparents were and um, where their marae is located and what that means and the kinds of practices that they might learn there and how we might facilitate a reconnection of some sort that's valuable in their lives. Because not only are are Māori youth um, looking to reconnect, but our home marae are, are calling out for our descendants to go home. And so it's a way of facilitating bridging that that big gap that we have.
The book Na Kite Ma Tauranga, Māori Scholars at the Research Interface, edited by Jacinta Ruru and Linda Waimarie Nikura, explores the research and the thinking behind some of the country's top Māori academics in their own field of work. Crucial breaks down why she leaned into philosophy. I talk about Māori philosophy because I want to... Part of it's political. I want to make sure that Māori philosophy is uh, seen as a philosophical tradition in its own right. But to understand Māori contributions to philosophy, this sort of global um, infrastructure of knowledge, uh, we have to talk about what philosophy is first. Mm. right? And um, one of the useful ways of thinking about philosophy, I think, is Mary Midgley, who was a philosopher, moral philosopher at the University of Newcastle, talked about philosophy as plumbing. And I really like that description because plumbing. I really like that description because what she means, well, she's trying to do a couple of things. First, she's trying to say, well, philosophy is absolutely needed in the same way that plumbing is needed, that we need plumbing to facilitate any kind of living well in society or even as individuals, actually. But she's also trying to say that often there's this conceptual infrastructure in our lives that's hidden from us that we don't see until it's broken. Then we start to try and wonder, well, what's gone wrong and how do we fix it? And that's what philosophers do. They tend to the things that are hidden in society, the the assumptions that we take for granted, all the ways in which we live our lives are based on some kind of conceptual infrastructure that people just um, aren't always aware of. And philosophers are really interested in examining that infrastructure and trying to figure out how we can improve it, what's gone wrong. Um, And that's really important because... When things go wrong in our conceptual infrastructure, our thinking is constrained. Right? We can't think um, in the ways, in open ways. We can't think across boundaries. Um, we can't see other people's perspectives, and that's really important for living together. Like when you say um, that the infrastructure, mm. is it just about a person is made up of how they think and what they do? So it's it's a. That's a good question. So it's both within an individual, but also within the basic foundation of society. So that's why it's, I mean, that's why it's so difficult um, because to do, to challenge the conceptual infrastructure or our basic assumptions requires us to, to sort of look inside sometimes. Yeah. And when we're challenging our basic assumptions, some of those assumptions are the, the assumptions that we've come to be brought up with and to that's live right. with yeah. and that shape our identities. And so it's really, it takes quite a bit of courage and vulnerability to be able to look inside and to think about the way in which we can think better or in more open ways. Yeah. To get to that stage of one person's life, do you have to come here to an institution like a university? No, do I don't think... That's a great question, too. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I think all schools are suppo- uh, should be facilitating that kind of deep reflection um, of ourselves and each other. Um, I think education plays a central role, but I also think in Fano. I mean, I know some of the wonderful... Some of the best conversations I've ever had are with my grandparents about these sorts of things, uh, wise kind of advice that they give you that really requires to understand it, lots of introspection. So I think actually there's lots of communities around us and a network of people who, who provide us with opportunities to do that. And university is one of those places. I fell in love with philosophy in the first few courses I took. It was my first year of university after not quite finishing high school and then working for a while on a building site and at a factory. I was looking for something that would light a fire inside me, 
for courses that I thought might have something interesting to say about how our world should be. It's somewhat amusing that a desire for real-world change, not something most people tend to associate with philosophy, led me to this beautiful subject. You did your, you carried out your, your master's in, in Scotland. Oh, my PhD, Sorry, actually. your PhD. That's your right. PhD yeah. in Scotland. What attracted you to head to Scotland, St Andrews, in the first place? I knew quite early on um, that I wanted to, to try to pursue a career in philosophy, in the discipline of philosophy. And I also knew that in order to do that here in New Zealand, because I wanted to do that here, I needed to go away to come back. What and do you mean by that? I needed to experience a different kind of conceptual landscape to be able to kind of understand the different kinds of infrastructures that we find um, and to give myself space to, to kind of get some kind of distance between the infrastructure here, the conceptual infrastructure here and elsewhere. So after your PhD, you write about your postdoctoral fellowship at James Henare Māori Research Centre in Auckland. You yep. describe it as one of the greatest periods or in your life, of learning in your life. Um, in what way? So it was the first time that I was able to really work with one of my own communities, Ngāti Whātua I learned so much from working with the whānau order team, actually. So it was at the time when, they were, when we were rolling out sort of innovative whānau order health and social service delivery. Um, and it kind of struck me at the time that, well, not only did I see the way in which um, our infrastructure is enacted in health, right, knowledge is enacted in health, but the struggles to change that infrastructure that determines, um, you know, how we deliver and design health services for our people and um, who we deliver them for and whether or not even our practitioners have space to reimagine that infrastructure, that health infrastructure and how difficult it is, but also um, how wonderful it is when you can, when you let people who, who are experienced in this space reimagine those structures how wonderfully well they do that and put into mm. practice what we need. So it's the wonderful thing about Final Order and what that, sh- uh, that helped me to learn about philosophy is that there's a lot of places in which you can learn about um, the shape of the infrastructure, the conceptual infrastructure and the, the challenges that we face in trying to change it and make it better for all of us. Um, yeah, so I learned so much from the Ngāti Whātua Ake Whānau Order team, but also at the centre there was just such a supportive environment where... Research was done, and this was under the leadership of Meta Takafaru, research was done from a position of kindness and generosity, and I just thought, you know what, this is the way I want to, to undertake my own research with the people that I end up working with from a position of kindness and gener- generosity. How do we enhance the views that are out there, and how do we work together and collaboratively, and how do we build the right kinds of relationships, and mm. how, do we, how do we work on listening better to each other? Yeah, so Fano Order as a co-papa, with you know things like funding criteria and reporting deadlines, and how does that then fit in something like a like a philosophical um, framework? Is it just a, a meeting of two worlds? Yeah. Or? So the idea it would be that um, the idea of metrics, you know, and indicators and targets and yeah. uh, report writing is really trying is an expression of the underlying values, but that's not always the case. Right? There's somehow the values don't translate well into that kind of language, and, and that's one of the great insights, that actually what are we trying to measure you know, at all? Um, 
why are we trying to measure these things? Or why is this the only way to track the transformation of health in our lives or in our whānau? And so it's when you start with a different kind of foundation, when you start with different values, different ideas about well-being and health and development, then you, you require a different picture to measure it, even if you want to call it measuring at all. So it could look like something like success stories. Transformation, Transformation stories, absolutely, where you can track the, the kind of the network that you can put around a person and how that impacts on their well-being in the long run. In 2017, Crucial was awarded a $300,000 grant for a three-year study into how Māori and other Indigenous perspectives can impact social and global justice. In 2018, she was awarded the Rutherford Discovery Fellowship. And in 2020, she was appointed to the United Nations Human Development Report Advisory Board, looking at environmental sustainability and how it impacts on human capabilities to produce and sustain well-being. Uh, So I was an advisory board member on that, I think an important report for a number of reasons. So... The first report came out in 1990, and that really challenged the idea, this is a short version, that really challenged the idea of thinking about development in terms of economic wealth only. And so it said we need to do more things like um, education, for instance. We need a multidimensional approach to measuring development for people and and their lives. Uh, But then 30 years later, we needed to push further, right? And so this report says... Human development can't be development if it means that we're making the planet or our landscapes and seascapes unwell. That can't possibly be development. And so it charts a new way of thinking about development where we're actually in, which I've said before, where Indigenous philosophies begin, which is that we have to begin at the intersections of our relationships with each other in the natural environment. And that if we don't negotiate and navigate those relationships well, then we're not going to flourish into the future. So that report is trying to get there. So indigenous knowledge and philosophies and communities in particular are really important, I think, for reimagining our lives together globally. And while there seems to be popular belief that answers to environmental issues lie with indigenous people's ways of knowing, Crucial believes that this can also be a dangerous narrative. Mm, Because as our planet gets more sick, there is this narrative that the Indigenous peoples have always had the answers. Can I just be frank? Yeah, yeah, I think it's important not to romanticise Indigenous communities uh, because we know that when you have to negotiate relationships, you make mistakes. The important part is you learn, right? And we have a history of learning from our mistakes in terms of negotiating our relationships with the environment. And I mean, some, for instance, in Australia, some Indigenous practices, those ecosystems rely on it now. Right, so there's a really so like uh, burning, right? So it's important not to romanticise indigenous communities, but I do think that the way in which indigenous communities um, provide us with notions of stewardship, uh, a perspective of of living together and in the natural environment, is one where we want to pursue good relationships over time. Um, I think it's really valuable. I am, of course. Sceptical about about, um, about about the global community now turning their attention uh, to indigenous communities, local mm. indigenous communities, because they happen to be living a lot of them on some of the most biodiverse um, areas. Good right. point. And I think what's really important is that we need to recenter local communities for global change. 
Um, mm. There's this massive gap between these global goals and targets and the work that is really being done on the ground by communities and the constraints that there are that are put on them that don't allow them to do that important work and to live, which is essentially just living the kinds of lives that they value. Tikanga is the name given to a particular practice seen for the most part on the marae. Now, kawa is the protocol or the why of doing something. But Crucial believes that underpinning everything is actually Māori philosophy. Um, but I, I separate the discipline, which I articulate or I take to be universities <laughs> and universities, yes. and the practice of philosophy itself, which exists everywhere. I'd say, mm. and not not just in philosophy, but in all in all disciplines on marae, um, and these again are enactments of knowledge, right? Um, and so, when I say that it survives, it will survive with or without the discipline of philosophy. I'm saying that we can recognise all the places that Maori philosophy exists in our world, in the landscapes with roots stretching all all the way back around the Pacific, that if we were to say that we need Māori philosophy, we need the discipline of philosophy for Māori philosophy to flourish, then we wouldn't be recognising its existence all along. When you say Māori philosophy um, in terms of um, the marae, especially with tikanga, we can see it as uh, maybe a fluid that can change. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean... Again, so that's the beautiful thing. Um, when we think about the philosophical infrastructure that um, underpins Māori society, it is. It's open to change, right? That's one of its... It's dynamic. Um, it has this kind of vitality. I've, I've said before, you know, we get these... The infrastructure really are just the threads that our tūpuna have given us, that they carry forward, that we have to reweave as we go forward into the future. Kanohi kitia or that seen face, relates to a person that is often seen supporting a range of events or kaupapa in the community. This whole concept of kānohi kitia at the marae is a person that is that seen face, i.e. the person that is like your nanny that you mentioned, the person that is that seen familiar face at the marae that you really become, you, you rely upon, they're loyal... And this is changing in terms of social media because no longer is it kanohi kitea, it's kanohi kitea tapafa, the screen. Um, so is that an example of this changing fluidity of philosophy, being that seen face versus what it's morphed That's into? That's such a great question. Um, you know, it's funny, right? I mean, one of the, one of the um, opportunities that we get through this kind of digitisation... Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, that reminds me of a few things. So, have you seen Māori maps? Yes, I have. Online, the yeah. planet, you, I mean, the, you zoom in, you can... Yeah, and you yeah. can have a look at Marae. That's a really interesting way and a really um, influential way of connecting people, right? So, I think the role, the question is, what's the appropriate role for this kind of technology, right? Mm. And that that's likely to change over time. And I think that so long as we have... I mean, our infrastructure is built also on the right kind of leadership and decision-making. So, so long as we have the right kind of um, discussions about this, these changes, I think it's absolutely fine and exciting, so long as that's on our terms. We're really good at just responding how our values are embedded, right, uh, really deeply, so that we can be transformative when we need to be, really quickly. I think there are 
wonderful um, people who attend to the infrastructure, the philosophical infrastructure in law and education. So there's so many people who are doing this really important work on our marae. Um, I think the challenge for this community of people, and there's a lot of us, is to really think about the way in which we practice philosophy together because I think we have an opportunity to, to change or to to position ourselves as practicing and having a practice that's consistent with our values of generosity to each other and kindness. And I think we have the opportunity to, to practice philosophy in our own unique ways that are consistent with our values. If we can pursue that, uh, we'll make a rich contribution to um, not only the discipline of philosophy, um, but also the practice of it and of our communities. He itzi te kupu, engari, he nui te whakaaro. Tēnā koe Dr. Crucial Wātene, no Ngāti Manu, te hikutu, Ngāti Whātua o Rākei, me tonga. A contributing writer to the book, Nā Kite Mā Tauranga, Māori Scholars at the Research Interface, published by the Otago University Press. Now the book is available now in all your good bookstores. To get in touch with the show, email tiahika at rnz.co.nz. You can download the podcast or simply head to the website rnz.co.nz forward slash tiahika to listen to the series from the start with Dr. Linda Waimarie Nikura. Next week, something a little bit different. Well, the date is uh, 23 Jan 1946 and that's the the welcoming of the, uh, the battalion uh, onto uh, Pepitia Wharf in, in Wellington and there's Coral there uh, in the middle amongst his uh, uh, battalions. I join my brother, Te Moanarua Nātoko, who completed his master's thesis about the young men who fought in the war overseas, who left their homes at Huria, Naitamarawaho in Tauranga for an adventure. I'll bring you that story next Sunday, of course, on Anzac Day. That's the show for another week. Join us next Sunday. Kia pai tā koutou wiki, tēnā tātou katoa.